Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. My name is Richard. I'm one of the pastors, one of the elders here in the church. And um, <clears throat> we've been this year giving ourselves to a topic that's pretty patently obvious if you just look at these two banners behind me. <clears throat> our subject, our theme, if you like, that sort of frames this year and, well, frames our lives, but frames a lot of the emphasis of our teaching this year is the cross and the crown. And um, I'd really like to pray as well. I appreciate David's prayer. But I'd love to pray that, that the Holy Spirit really reveals something to us Amen. fresh this morning. Yeah. Pray for me as I pray that I'm able to deliver with God's anointing the words that he wants me to speak uh, this morning. And that what, what we look at together today and whatever I share, that it's um, the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit are all over it. Amen. And that Jesus is glorified by everything that's said, that the Father is glorified by everything that's said. And Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Father, be glorified as we consider the cross together today. Jesus, be glorified as we consider the cross together today. Holy Spirit, be glorified and help us to handle and to understand and to gain fresh insights into your amazing love for us, Lord, that we see revealed at the cross. Amen. 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 Got two questions for you. Question number one, for you just to uh, consider for a moment. What can you do to make God love you more? What can you do to make God love you more? I ask that question because lots of people here are shaking your heads. Basically, you're saying, absolutely nothing. There is nothing that I can do in my own strength, in my own life, my own decisions. I can't better myself. I can't improve myself. I can't be good enough to be worthy of God's love. There's nothing we can do, is there, to make God love us more. And yet, that is a truth that far too often we miss, we overlook, we forget, And we try and win God's favor somehow or win God's love somehow by our own performance. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. Nothing at all. Second question is this. What more can God do to show us that he loves us? What more can God do to show us that he loves us? Do you know what I believe? There's nothing more that God can do to show us that he loves us because of the cross. At the cross, we see a revelation of God's love that is so complete and so perfect and so full that, to my mind, there is nothing else in history that presents the love of God more perfectly or completely than the cross. And that's quite a difficult thing to get your head around because the cross is, in lots of ways, ugly. 
It's bloody, it's violent, it's vicious, it's cruel. It's dark, it's painful. There's suffering there. And yet in that place, God reveals his love for us in a way that is so multifaceted, that is so multidimensional, that is so complete. There is nothing else that we can look at in the history of the world and see God's love portrayed more perfectly. And so we're going to look at love, the love of God at the cross, the love of God at the cross. You know, when we talk about love or we think about love, we can get all squidgy and oogy-poogy and who's a boo wavy dovey <laughs> And, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with affection. There's nothing wrong with love. There's nothing wrong with softness in that way. But that's not what love really is. In the pain that Jesus suffered in his battered and bruised and bloodied body, his, his flesh was stripped from his body. Blood and tears and sweat were mingling. He was exhausted. He was full of anguish. And, and in this context of seeming injustice, we see love perfectly displayed. In the face of the most incredible spiritual assault that any person would ever face, and under the weight of God's complete and total wrath, being poured out upon him, in that place we see the love of God displayed in its fullness. It's something that we read in the Word time and again, and it basically tells us that love produces action. And the cross is a place of action. You know, love is not sentimental. Love is sacrificial. Love is not just what we say, but it moves us to do and to go beyond. So that John writes in his epistle and he says, you say you love your Christian brother or sister, they're naked, you've got two coats and you don't give them one, where's the love? To quote the black eyed peas. <laughs> love is not sentimental, it's sacrificial. Love is not theoretical, it's practical. It's not confined to the books, it's not just confined to words and theory, it's practically displayed in our work, it's fleshed out, it's lived out. Love is not conditional. It's unconditional. That's the love that we read about in the Bible. Agape. Unconditional love. To love not in the light of something, but to love in spite of many things. It's unconditional. That's the love that we see at the cross. Love is not mercurial. It's a good word, isn't it? It's not fleeting. It's not passing. But it's decisional and it's covenantal. It's not seasonal. It's constant. It's reliable. It's always present. It's relentless. That's the love of God for us. It's not prejudicial. It's not about a certain group of people who act in a certain way and therefore, okay, I love you now. It's not prejudicial at all. It's impartial. It's for all. The love of God is not regional to a certain group of people in a certain place at a certain time. It's universal. It goes throughout history. It transcends the whole universe, the love of God. This is the love that we see displayed at the cross. I'm here to tell you today, God loves you. He is passionately, 
devoted. He cares about you. He loves you deeply and fully, and it's not conditional. It's not temporary. It's constant. It's permanent. He set his heart and his love on you. The cross shows us this. We read in the Bible that God is love. In his very nature is love. The way that he is, the way that he deals with us defines for us what love is. He's the source of love. And all that he does is driven by love. There's some references that I'd like for us to look at together just to put this into a bit of context. So if you'd put the next slide up, please, Katie. Here's the first one. These are from the New Living Translation. And um, they're up on the screen. By all means, have a look in your own Bibles as well. Um, But the first one is 1 John 4, 7 to 11. And it says this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from you trying really hard. No. Love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Anyone who loves is a child of God. You know, when, when we're saved, God, we experience God's love. He fills us with his love, and then we express his love. It's an evidence of our salvation. It's a fruit of our salvation. It proves that we've received and we've experienced something of God's love. That's what John is saying. That he saves us, he gives us his love, and then we know it, we have it, and we give it. We express the love of God. The source of love is God. If you need more love for people around you, go to God. If you want a drink when you're at home, go to the tap, turn it, and have a drink. If you need love for people, go to God, ask him, and he'll fill you with it. This is real love. No, sorry. God showed us, showed how much he loved us, sorry, by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. Here's the thing about love. Love gives. God loved, and so he gave. God showed how much he loved by giving. And here's the wonderful thing about love. When love is given and love is received, it brings life. When we receive the love of God, we receive his life. This is real love. I just want to say this. If, if, if If a relationship is dead, the only way that it can be resurrected is through love. If an element in your life and your relationship with God and how you're dealing with God and you think there's, there's, there's death there, there's, there's, there's no life there, come back to him and experience his love afresh. Trust me, it will transform everything. It will bring life. This is real love. Here you go. If you want the definition, it's not those two little people in the cartoons, little man and little woman with massive heads, mainly naked, really weird. Love is dot, dot, dot. Okay. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I find this statement so humbling. It's not that we loved God. In fact, we were so far from God. We we were as far away from God as we could be. We weren't thinking about God. We might have even... Um, told ourselves and others that God wasn't real, that he didn't exist, 
that only weak people needed him or believed in him. We might have thought he was there, but we hated him or we, re- we resented him. And God says, I still love you. That doesn't change my love. He, love takes the initiative. God's love takes the initiative. It's not that we loved God, but he loved us. And in the state that we were in, he sent his son to show that he loved us as a sacrifice to take away the thing that was pulling us away from God. Takes the initiative, it's unconditional, it's sacrificial. And so when we see Jesus, Jesus said, I've revealed the Father to you. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus lived among us. He revealed his love, the love of God through his life, but no more so. The greatest revelation of God's love that Christ revealed in his life was not in his life, it was in his death on the cross. If you put the next verse up, please, or verses, familiar verses. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. You know, this is a a verse that we quote so often. But there's everything about the gospel is here. Beautifully distilled down to this one sentence. God so loved the world. God wants us to love the world. God wants us to love the lost. God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know, we see that perishing is a path that we're on. Death, judgment, punishment is a path that we're on. But God broke in. God sent his son so that it would be a means for us to be saved. Why? Because he loves us. I was thinking about Adam and Eve in the garden and everything that they had and they turned their backs on God to please themselves, to eat a fruit that looked good and tasted good and to gain knowledge because for some reason they were beginning to doubt that God, God's best was for them and that there was another means, another way. And they put themselves first and they turned their backs on God and sin came in. And yet in that place where they recognized their own sin and they were guilty and they were ashamed, God covers them. What a wonderful God. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Love brings salvation and restoration. And the next verse, please, Romans 5, 8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when we were trying really hard to get it right with God. No. While we were still sinners. It's practical, it's real, it's tangible, it's not based on value, rather it creates value, it's the love of God. You know, in each of these verses that we've read, we see that God was moved by love. That God loved us and he sent his son that God showed he loved us, that he took the initiative, that he first loved us, even when we were far off. If you put the next verse up, please. This is an amazing verse. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. 
God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. I don't know if you've ever bought somebody something and you've, you've saved money or you've, you've, you've paid a, a, a large sum of something to buy a gift for somebody to show them how much you value them or how much you appreciate them. How many people here, when you receive a gift, you feel loved? I know some people aren't wired that way, but if you receive a gift, you think, especially if it's a really expensive gift, like, like a whole box of after eights, something like that. <laughs> But what the Bible tells us is when God paid a price for us, when God gave, it wasn't mere gold or silver. That that passes away. He used the most precious commodity in the universe, in the cosmos, in all of eternity, the blood of Jesus Christ. I just, I'm blown away by that. You know, every time I, or oftentimes as we read about love, the cross is there. Every time we, re- we read about the love of God, sacrifice is there. Every time we read about the love of God, there's a sacrifice, there's a death, God gave, God giving, God moving, the sun dying. Every time we see it, love and the cross, love and the cross, love and the cross. There's a few things just to, just to say at this point. When we, when we look at the cross, one of the challenges that we find is when we, when we look at the cross and we see the love of God, the cross, at the cross, there's more evidence, I think, naturally speaking, of the wrath of God, the anger of God. Because we see death, we see sacrifice, we see punishment, we see darkness. And the, the, the description there of punishment and of wrath and of anger in many ways seems to be more obvious than love. And sometimes we can pitch the father against the son, an angry father and a loving son. That's not how it is. God came. God came. God was in Christ redeeming, reconciling us to himself, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. This was an act of the Godhead. The father wasn't angry at you and was firing a death bullet that was heading in your direction, and at the last moment, the sun dives in front of it and takes it for you. That's not what happened on the cross. This wasn't a heroic act of a son who who did something sacrificial because his father was angry and punishing. That's not what happened at the cross. There are images and pictures that people use to present what happened at the cross, and if we're not careful, we separate the father from the son. They were totally united in the work at the cross. They were both completely moved by love. It was a father who sent a son and a son who was completely willing to go. And they were in it together. And I don't believe that if you love somebody that at times you're not angry. If you're not angry, I would say that generally you're probably pretty apathetic. You're not really bothered. Has anybody ever loved somebody or or someone and they've turned and done something to hurt you? You've trusted them with your love. You've trusted them with your care. You've trusted them with your heart. And then they've done something that's turned against you and they've, they've betrayed you somehow. 
You're not going to stand there and say, oh, well, never mind. You're livid. You're angry. You know, God's love is expressed in so many different ways. When God made us, he made us because he loves us and he wanted us to know and experience his love and to be in a relationship with him where we loved him back. And the only way that we could love him really was to have a a free will to be able to do so. God loves his creation. When he made it, he looked at it and he said, that's really good. He was saying that's the best it can be. God loves his creation. God loves you. God loves us. God has plans for us and purposes for us that are great and wonderful and marvelous. But one thing that he doesn't love, one thing that he hates, one thing that he's against and he's angry with is sin and evil. Because sin and evil, whether it moves a heart or a person or the enemy, does all that it can to try and defeat love. To try and reject love, to rebel against love, to rebel and reject God's love and his goodness and his purposes and try to do all that it can to steal and kill and destroy. Why would God not be angry with such things? And at the cross, we see the love of God and we see the wrath of God beating in the same chest, the same heart, angry with that which which is trying to deny, which is trying to rebel, which is trying to reject all of his love and all of his goodness and all of his purposes, he has to bring a judgment. It's not father versus son. It's not love versus wrath. There's the love of God and the wrath of God displayed at the cross. There's the father and the son working together in unity to bring us back into the atonement. Both bear the cost of the atonement on the cross, the father and the son. They act together in perfect harmony. Please don't think angry father, loving son, demanding father, paying son, punishing father, innocent son. That's not how it is. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Donald McLeod, a theologian, said this, God himself takes our place. He meets the whole cost of our forgiveness in himself, exacting of himself. God demands the ransom. He provides the ransom. He becomes the ransom. Herein is love. God demands the ransom. He provides the ransom. He becomes the the ransom. Herein is love. God loves us. And we see that displayed at the cross. Why does God love you? Why does God love me? Because he loves you. Because he loves me. (laughs) He's just set, he's set his heart on us. Have you, I only got this word for Chris because I know Chris likes really... Doesn't Chris have some amazing words when he talks sometimes? Like, I'm always blown away by Chris's grammar. Not grammar. What's the word? Vocabulary. Vocabulary. Oh, the irony. Um, <laughs> God's love is axiomatic. There you go. That's the biggest amen I've had from Chris all morning. No, no, no. He loves us because he loves us. He's set his heart on us. He's made you. He's formed you. Has a plan for you and a purpose for you. He loves you and he wants the best for you. Isn't that amazing? I think the closest you get to understanding that maybe is as a parent. Where somehow you've managed to create together as a a couple this person. Not quite sure how they're as amazing as they are but you create something together and you love them and above all else, you want the best for them. You just want the best for them. 
for their own sake, because you love them. And you know, for you and I, there's nothing that you or I will do that, that can do, whether we reject God or, go, or we, we come to God, or whether we worship God or, or we rebel against God, none, nothing that we do makes God any less God. God doesn't love us because it makes him look good. He loves us because he set his heart on us. He wants us to know him and love him because it's for our best, and he wants that because he loves us. He just wants to know, are you going to be any less than I've made you to be? God loves us. God's love is persistent. God's love is revealed at the cross in its fullness. As I've been reading about the cross and just thinking about God's love, if you just turn in your Bibles for a moment to John 15, 13, please. We all okay? When you turn to the person next to you and just say this, God loves you. And then turn back to them and say, no, he really does. <laughs> God loves you. Jesus 15, uh, Jesus 15. <laughs> I'm reading from the uh, New Heretical Bible. No, <laughs> It is Jesus, isn't it? It is. It's his word, so it reveals him. I'll take that as a Holy Spirit one. <laughs> John 15, 13 says this. There is no greater love, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I think I've said, I'm sure many people have said this before. I know I have. But at the cross, Jesus' life wasn't taken. No Roman soldier took Jesus' life. Okay. The enemy did not take his life. The Sanhedrin didn't put him on a cross and therefore he died. It wasn't at Pilate's hands. Jesus laid his life down for you, for me. Why? Because he loves us. I mean, if, so, if somebody, somebody does something physically before you, if somebody, if somebody pushed you out of the way so that you were physically saved and they died, how grateful would you be? A car was rushing towards you. Somebody runs out, pushes you out of the way. They take the hit. They're killed and you live. The gratitude that you would feel towards that person. But he's not just saved us from physical death. He saved us from spiritual death. He saved us from eternal death. He saved us from separation from God. He saved us from an eternity being separated from God. He's done everything so that we can live, not just now, but know eternal life. And life to the full. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And as you read the story around the cross and, and you look at the injustice that Jesus faced, the social injustice, from midnight or the night that he was arrested in the garden to around dawn, he was tried in front of four different groups of people, two groups of the Sanhedrin, Pilate and Herod, the religious um, and and the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were basically responsible for the Jewish laws, the local laws, the Sanhedrin, they tried him and they falsely accused him and they said he'd said this, that, and the other, and they pulled up false witnesses and nobody, none of it would stick. So they take him to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they say, You bring a judgment. And Pilate's not quite sure what to do with him, so he passes him over to Herod. And Herod's a local king. He has a limited area of, of power and he doesn't know what to do with him. So he sends him back to Pilate. And then Pilate tries him properly and says this very clearly. I find nothing wrong with this man. Three times Luke records in chapter 23, Pilate saying very clearly, 
I've examined him thoroughly and found him innocent. And yet what happens? He dies. Social injustice beyond anything else you can imagine. The physical trauma that he faced. The way that he was slapped by the, the, the different men in the, among the Sanhedrin and then taken and flogged with a lead-tipped whip by Roman soldier. And then taken and, and, a, and a battalion of men surrounded him and they put a, a crown of thorns and pushed it into his scalp. And as the blood is running into his eyes, they're beating his head with a stick and they're punching him and they're kicking him. And he's already been whipped, he's already been beaten, he's already been sleep deprived. And then he's told to carry a cross through a crowd of people who are jeering him and spitting at him and, and again hitting him and pushing him. And his blood is going from him, he's dehydrated, he's shattered, he's, he's exhausted, he can't do it anymore. And somebody comes, is called from the crowd to take the cross to Golgotha. And the cross is laid down and they lay his body on the cross. And it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I believe he, he somehow drew the strength to stretch his arms out. I believe he positioned himself for what came next. And they drove nails into his wrists. They drove maybe one nail between his shin bone and his, his Achilles tendon, the back of his leg. And they, they lifted him up. And the agony as he hung there and then dropped him into the ground. And that shuddering movement would have caused so many of his joints to become dislocated. And then he hangs there for hours. That physical trauma that he suffered... And as he looks, the material loss. Jesus didn't have much materially, but one thing he did have was an incredibly beautifully made tunic. And there it is being gambled for by Roman soldiers who are about to take it away. Social injustice, physical trauma, material loss, the emotional abandonment of his disciples, one of them selling him off, betraying him for 30 pieces of silver, the rest scattering in different directions. Couldn't even be bothered to stay awake to pray with him for an hour in the garden. The public shame as he hangs there, battered and bruised and bloodied and naked, and everybody's mocking him and, and shouting at him and, and, and decrying him. But you know what? Those things are secondary. Many men and women have suffered similar things and been martyred for their faith. And I am so grateful that Jesus endured those things. Because at any moment he could have just said, enough, no more. And trust me, the angels are ready to go. One angel wipes out 185,000 troops of Sennacherib in the Bible because Hezekiah prays to God. I mean, this wasn't one angel waiting. There were battalions, groups of angels ready to go because they didn't even want to see him strike his foot against a stone. And yet they're being held back. And they're watching. Heaven watching. The Father watching. The Son enduring. But you know what? That wasn't the suffering that he took on himself. That, that was so much further down the line. Because what he faced above all else, the spiritual assault that he came under, as the enemy saw the Son the Son of God, the Son of Man, at his weakest point, at his lowest ebb, began to throw everything that he could to break him, to kill him, to destroy him. This man who'd never known sickness, 
Now sickness was coming at him. Every disease, every illness, every ailment was attacking him. This son who'd never known poverty, all of a sudden, every spirit of of lack and, and poverty is attacking him and upon him. And this one who had never sinned, sinless and spotless, is taking the sin of the world upon himself. And then the wrath of God is poured out. I don't know what happens in the Godhead at the cross. It's a mystery. What I do know is that as the father poured out his wrath on his son, the son, God wasn't angry with Jesus. just want to say that. God's anger was at sin. And Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21 seems to phrase that he became sin. Certainly he took the penalty for sin on, on himself, the fullness of it. The full wrath of God was poured out on him. And the thing that Jesus was most anxious about, the thing that he was most agonizing over, wasn't the physical pain or the the social injustice or the emotional abandonment. You just need to go back to the garden where he's praying to the Father. And he simply says, Father, let this cup pass me by. But if not, I'll take it and I'll drink it. He's talking about the wrath of God. We read about the cup of the wrath of God described for us In Isaiah 51, in Jeremiah 25, he was taking upon himself the very wrath of God. And as he endured all of these things, he never stopped. He never gave up. And I just want to watch, want us to watch a a scene together from uh, the Passion. Um, It's the uh, the seven statements of Jesus on the cross. But as we watch it. I, um, I watched it recently, and, and I just want to say, even this, even this is, is sanitized, even this is cleaned up for us, as brutal as this might look, and I don't, not, not, it's not to offend anybody, but I just want us to put ourselves there for a moment, to see him enduring all of these things that I've just described, and yet listen to the words that he speaks, and just be so appreciative of the love that's in him as he's going through these things. If you could play that for us, please. You know, it's a powerful portrayal of the seven statements that we see recorded that Jesus says on the cross. And it's just, just three things I want to say before I, before I close. But as you look at Jesus on the cross, the first three things, the first three statements that he makes, the very first thing as they're mocking him and as they're making fun of him is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. You know what? In the face of rebellious rejection, Jesus loves them. Jesus loves those who've rejected him. Jesus loves those who've rebelled against him. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you may have doubted him and doubted God, turned your back on him. But I want to tell you this today. Jesus loves you. God loves you. You might have friends and and neighbors here and you're part of the church and you've experienced the love of God and you've seen people turn against him and reject him. I just want to tell you this. He loves them. 
so love them. He loves them, so love them. Jesus is on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He loves those who rebelliously reject him. And then there's the the conversation that he has, this amazing conversation that he has with the thief on the cross. And the thief who had been mocking him, who had been cursing him, is now seeing him as who he really is, the son of God, and he turns to him. And he says, I'm guilty, you're innocent. Please, if there's any way that you can remember me in paradise. And the love in Jesus' eyes as he turns to this man who's ruefully repentant and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He loves those who rebel against him. He loves those who are repenting and turning back to him. And then we see him during this time of great pain and suffering and anguish, looking at the one who had been resolutely reliable, his own mother, and the love that he expresses for her as he looks at her and he says to her and to his best friend, John, woman, your son, son, John, your mother. And he pours his love out on these two people who have stood by him. Jesus loves you. Jesus displays his love for you on the cross. But I want to say this, God loves you. God's love is displayed for you on the cross. And he wants us to know his love, that when we look at the cross, we see his love for us. And that if you've turned your back on God and you've rebelled, he loves you. Be like the criminal who turns to him and says, Lord, I recognize now that you are the Lord. Please forgive me. And he says, you're forgiven. You might be here today and you're staying true to following Jesus, but he wants you to know he loves you. He's with you. He's for you. Because as I look at this story and as I look at what Jesus endured and as I look at the assault that he came under and the way that he continued to pursue the the fullness of of the resurrection that was going to come, not just for him, but for all of us, and the love that's displayed on the cross, all I know is this. His love demands a response. The love of God demands a response. That response might be, no thank you. That response might well be, Lord, thank you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm worshiping you. I'm so grateful for your love for me. But it can't leave us somewhere in between. Love gave. Love took. Love died, love provided, and love rose again. He's our risen king. You know, Jesus is our loving savior, but he's also our loving king. Jesus is not on the cross. He's risen. He's living. He's here with us right now. And he wants us to know his love. He wants us to see more richly the love that he displayed for us on the cross. He wants us to understand the love that God has for us. And he's here with us right now. You just close your eyes for a moment, please. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love that's so wonderfully demonstrated for us on the cross Holy Spirit I ask right now that you would just 
impart to each one of us fresh insight, a fresh appreciation of God's love for us right now. I pray for those who don't yet know you. Lord, let them experience your love right now. Let them be aware of your love for them right now. A love that's not far off, but that's close and real and true and perfect. Let them know your love right now, I pray. Lord, as we think of those that we know, friends and family, neighbors and colleagues, that don't yet know you, Lord, we we lift them up to you right now. We think about them. And in our prayers, Lord, we say, Lord, let them know your love in a fresh way right now. Wherever they are, Holy Spirit, just begin to reveal to them the love of God for them. Let them encounter it. Let them see it. Let them experience it, we pray. Holy Spirit, help us, Lord, to demonstrate that love to them. joining us today there's so much going on at living rock church and we'd love for you to be involved search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on facebook twitter and instagram